Hello, welcome back to Creative Chit Chat and um, give me a minute. It is the one year birthday of the podcast this week with episode number 43. Um, To be honest, I can't quite believe we've gone an entire year. Uh, But this week to celebrate our birthday, um, it's a bit of a meeting of podcasts, a collaboration uh, between Creative Chit Chat and The Beans, um, another Dundee-based podcast where they sort of talk about a random interesting topic um, every week. And then they have what they call minisodes. So they have smaller episodes that they reduce, that they um, put out uh, every week as well. So it's sort of two episodes a week. And that's Sam Gonsalves, uh, Valerie Glenmullen and Erin Farley. So you might know Sam. Um, he has been on the podcast before and he also used to run... As the reducer runs, probably not the correct terminology because he assures me it will be coming back. But the mixtape of everything. Um, so that was his first dip in the toe into the water of podcasting. Um, and now um, he's part of the team creating the beans. I'm really pleased to say that I'm going to be featuring on the beans for the next four of their minisodes, which are coming out next week, where you can hear me ramble some absolute nonsense and also present a little topic of my own, which is. Um, maybe interesting Um, I'll leave that up to you to decide Um, so yeah episode 43 Um, yeah it's quite hard to believe we've got there I suppose I've got a lot of people to thank Um, everyone who's come on everyone who's given me advice over the year Um, you guys for listening and sort of making this possible and making it a big thing Um, I feel quite privileged that the amount of people who come to me and say, oh yeah, I know about the podcast and I've listened to it and blah, blah, blah. And it, it, yeah, it feels great. And it's amazing to, to know that there's loads of people out there finding it valuable, um, learning from all the other great people who are out there. Um, so long may it continue. Um, I, I'm going to give a little bit of an exclusive since it's a birthday. Um, everybody likes a treat. So I'm going to reveal that episode number 50, um, which is planned to be the episode that will come out after the sort of festive Christmas break, so the first one of 2018, um, will be my very own episode, so my story. Um, And I've also roped in Lyle Bruce, who's going to do the interviewing. Um, So yeah, we'll see how that goes, and that'll come out, yeah, first first episode of 2018, number 50, will be me. So if you are new to the podcast... Um, the best way to keep up to date is on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook. So we're at CCC Dundee on Twitter and Instagram and it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee on Facebook. Um, and you get all the updates, all the teasers, all the little bits and pieces um, and everything that's going on. Um, obviously still got the prints available to buy from the shop. Um, so yeah, it's a really great way. You get something nice, you get the support of the podcast. Um, that's cccdundee.com forward slash store. If you want one of them, um, give us a shout and we can arrange pick up in Dundee as well. So I think that's it for the ramble. Um, let's get on and into episode 43, which I think I didn't set that up right. So the whole podcast, the whole premise of this roundtable, which I forgot to mention, you think I'd have learned that by now. Anyway, it's all about storytelling. So it's all about the various ways that we tell stories. And um, we actually dip into some current affairs, which is a new 
tiny sort of uh, area for creative chit chat, um, but it was absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. Um, I did this last week and got the chat out really quick, so it, it keeps it relevant. It keeps the conversation very much um, appropriate to what's happening right now. Um, so I hope you enjoy it, and let's get into episode forty-three. And this is a roundtable with the guys from the Beans Podcast. Should I start? Sure. <laughs> okay. I'm Valerie Mullen. I'm a writer, especially of science fiction and fantasy. Uh, so I use storytelling in every aspect of what I do. Um, I listen to a lot of lectures about it, um, but mostly you learn by doing. So that's how it <laughs> incorporates itself. Good stuff. I'm Sam Gonsalves. I'm a, I make documentaries and general like nonfiction things. Um, I also am the digital producer for Creative Dundee, um, where we put out some kind of original content in terms of interviews and, and stories of creative folks in Dundee. I'm Erin Farley. Uh, I'm a PhD student uh, researching the poetry and song communities in 19th century Dundee and I do a lot of uh, sort of engagement work surrounding that, kind of tours and talks and things. Which are great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and I'm also a traditional storyteller, so um, that involves storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> and but uh, obviously I'm Ryan McLeod and... I suppose storytelling is a bit of, I suppose it does relate in somewhat, I mean, I, I'm a designer, so the stories I tell are slightly different to you mm -hmm. guys in that it's it's more in the work that I create, I'm telling the stories of the clients that I have um, and the things that I produce, so whether it's a website selling a product or a service, I have to tell that, that particular story for people. Or whether it's creating a brand that has a tone and has a sort of set of values, I'm trying to tell that story for people in that respect. But um, I suppose what I want to talk about first is what you feel is particularly interesting or unique about your own approach to the way that you tell stories. So maybe I'll sort of start and give you a bit of thinking time on that. Because I realise <laughs> I've sort you. of I've led you in blind <laughs> and not given you the questions beforehand. Um, so I think I kind of like to be quite bold and shouty about what I do. I, I mean, I quite, although I'd never be, I'd never proclaim to be very good at writing. I think um, I do love language. Um, mm. I made a little um, weather browser extension um, that was called Outside. Um, that gives you the weather in Scottish wherever you are. Um, I've seen that. Oh, was yeah. that you? That was me. Yeah. <laughs> you did a really good Pachacucha talk on that, right? The I did. Yeah, yeah. That sort of feature yeah. that was, that was um, the the beauty of side projects or or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was using yeah beautiful Scottish words that we was it taps off and stuff. Taps off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I only learned that after I moved yeah. here. It was like taps off was actually a temperature. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's sort of finding those little nuances in language and, mm. um, yeah, I, I love that and sort of changing people's perceptions of, of words and how we use them and even finding out, I really quite enjoy finding out like the, the different meanings and where things come from. Recently I was doing a bit of um, letterpress printing um, with 
Um, I'd say a couple of the guys who've been on the podcast um, and we sort of made prints off the back of it, but this guy has this amazing studio, John Eason, um, and he has, so he was setting up some type and he had this big case sitting upright and this case sitting sort of flat. And the top case was uppercase letters and the bottom case was lowercase letters. So that's where the phrase, that's where the, that terminology comes from, the uppercase wow. and lowercase. Um, but yeah, it's just a beautiful thing that you'd never think about yeah. until you put in that context. Mm. Yeah. There's something really cool about just typesetting and the way you get really sort of physically involved in the letters and the shapes of words and stuff as well. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's just a whole other way of working. It's like something I'd never really experienced, especially speed-wise as well. It's, whereas a computer, you can do so much so quickly. Mm -hmm. As there, it's like you have to actually think about this and then the process takes a lot longer. It's quite frustrating in a way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so getting on to, to so what's what's unique and interesting about the way you guys tell your stories? I mean, I don't know if it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or unique, actually. Um, but I, I mean, speaking to, I, I think this applies to every... Um, every film or every podcast or, or anything like that that I've made um, but but one specific project that I really enjoy is one that I did last year about the Alexander Street Maltese in Dundee um, and it was a short film about the site in the city where you know the, these Maltese were built as the promise of a new Dundee um, they were called for a while the hope of Dundee and mm -hmm. they're the first buildings with elevators in the city and uh -huh. you know you could see the tape from them and all of that stuff um, and then you have about 40 years of history, 40 plus years of history of those buildings, which involved them getting knocked down and this, this landscaping being left there and all of these like little intricacies that happen in between. And now there's a whole, there's a whole new chapter. I could do a new film about what happened in the site since I finished making this film. So it's just a complex site and there's in and outs and there's all sorts of things to explore. Um, so I guess when I'm looking at telling a story, especially from this nonfiction aspect, there's this guy, Hayden White, who said that telling real stories is transforming knowing into telling. And I think that that's kind of what I'm trying to do is I'm looking at this constellation of uh, facts <laughs> of like, and the buildings were like this and the people were like this and this story and this story and this story and you know all sorts of like little facts about a situation and then I'm trying to weave in a narrative between those facts you know mm -hmm. and, and telling something that is true to the whole thing but that's not the whole thing because I can't do a 15 hour documentary you know um, so I think that's maybe the, the kind of <laughs> epiphany that I had <laughs> about documentaries is, is that it's not in summarizing a situation it's selecting a situation you know like weaving mm -hmm. a story in the midst of a situation deciding what to focus on yeah yeah finding okay. the yeah finding this because no story is going to encompass everything mm -hmm. because you won't know everything yeah. you know like you're if it's a real story um so it's how do you tell it so it's true and interesting and sustainable mm -hmm. <laughs> um yeah what is the process mm. of that so yeah i think that that, that phrase transforming knowing into telling as a big like I don't know just north for me when I'm making that kind of thing mm -hmm. that's quite an interesting almost contrast with my experience <laughs> with storytelling yeah. because um especially with the kind of traditional storytelling where you're taking sort of narratives that have been in some cases around for centuries um 
and you're sort of learning them and sort of sharing them and again it's a it's a learning by doing um thing but it's absolutely not about facts at all it's about (laughs) this other kind of truth um Mm. because what i feel like um stories do is they say um this is important and they they don't necessarily say this exactly happened um at this time in this place in this way but they say here is some important like truths about the world Mm -hmm. um and they don't say this is exactly what happened to me as a storyteller Mm -hmm. um they say this is something that's kind of happened to us and it sort Mm -hmm. of allows you to share um with with your listeners as well um and almost that that lack of specific um factual detail is where the power is because you sort of go beyond that and find find human connections mm-hmm. yeah like this um, could happen to anyone or yeah that sort of thing to and or... yeah the sort of you know supernatural or mythological motifs mm. that are actually just about very sort of human experiences yeah. And it's funny because you see that in in folklore, in religion, and you know all sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, and it's right? all it's all us looking for connection to make sense of the world in yeah. some way. It's about the spirit um, of the story as opposed to the uh, shape yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a way. I guess for me, one of the things that might be unique about my writing, which I don't know for sure if it is, but based on what agents are looking for, it might be, is <laughs> like not actually trying to be unique. Um, just trying to be the most true to a story that you can be, uh, to be the most true to a vision, to like have people act like actual people instead of like, I don't know, like Nicholas Sparks uh-huh. books or movies. Like like The Notebook. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Our favorite. I don't really, I think there's a lot of power in not having the swelling movie music in the certain moments. Like having the moments be so strong that it doesn't matter that it wasn't raining at the time. Um, yeah. I, I can't really explain <laughs> how I do it or like how it affects things, but I think that trying to be genuine makes things unique because everyone's experience of the world is unique. Yeah. Um, Just to quickly follow up on that, but like the, the idea it's funny because I think people relate to stories that are like that, they're mm-hmm. genuine. And one of the things, thinking about films and TV shows and that kind of thing, that people enjoy the most is consistent characters. Mm-hmm. So like the one thing in common between movies and good movies and good TV shows is that the character is consistent. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, they yeah. grow and they learn, but they are that. Yeah. You know, they're not one week, they're mm-hmm. like this, and then the next week they're totally That's actually, person. Brandon Sanderson, a fantasy author, has this great thing about that, how... Uh, characters in books have to be a lot more consistent than people in real life because in a book people are like noticing oh how consistent are they like do they change randomly whereas a person in real life can they can surprise you like every single day you think like oh I think I know what this person is made up of but in reality no one is that predictable but if it happened in a book you'd be like oh no that's out of character for this person to act this way but actually it's yeah I think that's um, that's a really good point real people um, are allowed to be yeah. you know just weird yeah. <laughs> and fiction needs to be believable yeah in a way that non-fiction yeah doesn't. exactly yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I guess what I was interested in is that like why are we why do we want that why do we want consistent characters why do we like finish work and come home 
to watch like Sheldon be Sheldon for another week. You know? I, for one, do not want to watch Sheldon in any way, shape, or form. But what, what is it about character consistency mm-hmm. that is at the heart of storytelling of in what we yeah, it's like it's, we keep going back even in you know thinking back to days of myths you know <laughs> Loki wouldn't be Loki if he wasn't like messing everything up mm-hmm. right. um, and yeah we want to watch these same stories play out yeah. I mean do you think it's because generally our lives are quite you know in a way almost fundamentally repetitive like the world <laughs> goes round the seasons mm. go round we need to eat every day we need to sleep every day we need to like but then when you think about the stories that really stick with you, it's when the pattern is changed. Yeah. So the pattern has to be there. Like Loki has to continually mess things up. But then the one time he does something good and you're like, oh my God, this is yeah. the most amazing moment. Right. So you have to have all the other weeks where he's messed something right. up. But then, and then the, the potential, the the potential yeah. for change and hope yeah. and all that. Yeah, yeah. maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's a mystery. Yeah. Tell us, Ryan. Tell us what <laughs> yeah. are we meant to think about yeah. this. I mean, you, you have the correct answers, right? <laughs> I, I only came with the questions. <laughs> As do we all. <laughs> Okay, well, let's move on to talk a little bit about your favourite storytellers. Mm. Um, I'll start with mine. I mean, I, I've got a, a few, but one that springs to mind, um, he might not be termed as a specifically as a storyteller, but I love um, Louis Theroux's documentaries. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, just his very nature of being this sort of awkward yeah. scrawny like lanky Englishman just sort of yeah. thrown into these weird situations okay, for the uncultured people among us who is Louis Theroux oh boy let's okay <laughs> let's watch some stuff after this <laughs> he's basically he's this like gonzo journalist guy who goes into uh, situations Michael Moore style but not about politics about like human interest mm-hmm. where he is almost the main character in every documentary that he does mm. kind of but he goes, you know, he's done things from, I don't know, uh, the sex doll like industry to like heroin addiction to a prison for um, sex offenders. To... And is he always quite like wide eyed and not wide eyed? But he is he is like a stereotypical English nerd, I think. <laughs> yeah, he's a very. I mean, basically, the the situations he ends up in are the the antithesis of him as a person I think Um, but he manages to have this very endearing innocent quality about him that Mm -hmm. he brings out but he then changes into being quite hard hitting Mm. Um, and it's quite a short space of time relative and what you see anyway in the the documentaries for sure Um, and he prizes out answers quite what seems quite innocently but in his mind I imagine he's very driven and he has mm. a, a definite goal but he's a very skilled um like interviewer i think um, mm. and i love the way that he, he sort of prizes those things out of people i think it's brilliant mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> do you, i've been do you guys listening to a lot of lois mcmaster bujold who is one of my favorite science fiction authors and i keep going science fiction direction it's just where my brain's been lately um and i think she has just a very simplistic way of telling you stuff you already know but the fact that you are being told something that you've known and seen in everyday life all the time it just for some reason like suddenly your fist pumping along like yes that is exactly what happens but it's like this space opera setting where people have like stun guns and laser beams and you know there's (laughs) gravity on ships and 
the galaxy is everything is different, but humans are still the same. And it just has so many insights about what it means to be human and how people think. Um, but it's in this completely different setting, which I, I don't know. I think there's something very hopeful about science fiction in general. So if you can show human nature kindly, um, I have a lot of respect for that. Just being able to show the good parts about humanity as well as the bad parts, because I think it's very easy to be negative about things. But being hopeful and positive is actually harder. And I have a lot of respect for people who can manage to get to the sort of softer and maybe gentler parts about being human. Mm. Has she written anything weird enough? The Verkosigan saga is very well known within science fiction nerddom, okay, but okay. I don't It's think... more ni- it's niche kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, most of the things that I like are kind of... <laughs> <laughs> I, I sound so hipster, but... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you guys don't like that. It's fine. <laughs> That's fine. I'll put some... Uh, links in the show notes. Oh yeah, yeah excellent. Because yeah, I like the sound of this. Actually. Yeah, this was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, she. So I. I was actually on her blog, and I. I think that she worked in medicine for a while, so that gave her a lot of human contact. Uh, that. I don't know. Maybe a lot of science fiction authors of the time didn't have. Um, yeah, just in touch with. Things that other people may have not had their fingers on the pulse of. Right. Cool. Anyone else? Um, I I mean, I keep thinking about when you say storytellers, I keep thinking about like the kind of people who sort of taught me um, like traditional storytelling and stuff. Um, I feel like my brain, I think because I work in that scene, kind of has storytelling as its own thing. And then I wouldn't necessarily think of an author when you say Mm -hmm. storytelling, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how that's how I keep myself sane and know what people are talking about (laughs) some of the time. Um, But uh, I have. Are we allowed to swear on this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Fuck yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the person who sort of has most taught me about storytelling is a man called Tom Muir, who lives in Orkney. Um, and he sort of really, you know, through just quietly getting on with it um, while everyone else was, you know, ignoring it, um, you know, so sort of really revived um, sort of live storytelling in Orkney Um, and one of the first pieces of advice he ever gave me was um, the thing about storytellers is that they are manipulative mindfuck bastards (laughs) (laughs) Um, and sometimes that's you know in the best possible way you know it's about kind of getting inside people's minds and you know connecting with something in there mm-hmm. and um, changing the way that people look at the world mm-hmm. and it's so easy um, to manipulate people as well like yeah like we're all just sitting here waiting for it aren't yeah, we? yeah. We're, we're like crying out yeah, for it yeah please manipulate um, me in yes. some like positive way yeah um, I guess like another sort of another more family friendly piece of advice <laughs> or that, that he said recently was that storytelling is a bit like being a cross between a stand-up comedian and a poet because mm. you're you're sort of balancing these two sort of tragic and you know comedic forces of of where our where our emotional responses go and you mm. need to have that bit of both and I think that kind of connects with what you're saying as well about it's really easy to be um 
cynical, mm-hmm. especially these days. Yeah. Um, but I actually sort of, you know, finding the hope in the depths mm-hmm. of despair is one of the most powerful things that yeah. I think uh, a storyteller on any format can do. And mm-hmm. I think we really need that at the moment as yeah. well. And I've also noticed, uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but I've noticed that stories that make me laugh, um, when they make me cry, they make me cry so much harder because it's it's reached you on a level where there's joy. And once there's joy, any kind of sadness is so much deeper. Right. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's in, in the other way around, right? Like, I mean, whatever. Yeah, if you keep something in a consistent tone for a long time and then you introduce a totally new thing Mm -hmm. it can be a drama that has a funny moment or a comedy that has a dark moment Mm -hmm. like it's really Mm -hmm. hitting yeah yeah you you really need those those dark and lights Uh, Mm -hmm. um i think i'm thinking of two things one is uh janet jacobs who's a nonfiction writer kind of john ronson style i think to an extent but she her most famous book is The Journalist and the Murderer and it's a book where this guy is convicted for killing his family is is charged of killing his family mm-hmm. and um, goes to trial and it's a really high profile trial like he's a he's a doctor and it's kind of like OJ style you know mm-hmm. like really big and um, an author joins the legal team in the promise of writing a book about this guy uh, about his life in about in the promise of writing a positive book about this guy mm. uh saying that he was innocent the the guy's convicted um in the so the trial ends and then this author goes away and writes a book saying that the guy is guilty mm. and writing a kind of true crime like trashy kind of book of he's a horrible person look at all the things he did backstage mm-hmm. like look at all of that and so jane jacobs come in comes in to interview the guy who's being charged of murder, who's been convicted of murder, and interview a few people around him. And so it's a cool, like, a little dark kind of story about a serial killer, and it's, you know, a little scary, not serial killer, just a, a murderer, and mm-hmm. and it's a little scary in that, in that way or whatever, but it's also about the ethics of journalism and the ethics of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you promise someone the story will be one way? And can uh-huh. you lie to them about that? And should you have published that book? Um, and all sorts of really high-profile people get on her case because everyone's saying, "Oh, you're you're arguing against freedom of speech." Mm-hmm. So she's just one lone journalist, like standing in the kind of way of you know, of all of that, saying that ethics are good or whatever. Mm-hmm. But all of her books are amazing, and she's she's really good. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that I think about a lot when I think about favorite storyteller, I it's not really a storyteller, but it's a story. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, Arabian Nights or the One Thousand One Nights. Which I think is the closest thing I have to a favorite story ever. Mm-hmm. I don't, are you guys familiar with is it generally? a woman who's telling yeah. stories yeah. in order to well, not be killed or something? Yeah, basically. Okay. So it's a, it's a king who, it's really dark, but it was written <laughs> like hundreds of years ago. Um, and it was, it's a king who his wife runs away with one of his like main guys, with his like right hand man. Mm-hmm. And he gets really heartbroken. And so what he does is he starts, he finds a woman he finds attractive, mm-hmm. he marries her, he spends the night with her, and then in the morning he kills her. Mm-hmm. And he does that over and over and over again. As we all do when dealing with we difficult emotions. Yeah. We all find ourselves <laughs> in that kind of position. <laughs> so like, 
really dark. But then eventually he finds this woman called... Uh, he finds a woman, and then her sister's like, no, don't take my sister. I don't want her to die. Take me instead. And he does. So she's Katniss. Yeah, that's right. She <laughs> is the tribute, yeah. Um, she Her name is Shahirazad. And she... So she marries him. She goes to bed with him. Uh, and before they go to sleep she's like well before we go to sleep can I tell you a story <laughs> and then she tells him a story and then he's like holy shit the story was so good like, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like tell me another one and then she tells him another one but she only tells him the first half of another story mm-hmm. and then he's like oh finish it and she's like no finish tomorrow night this just reminds me of watching Netflix with my husband <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> we never get to watch the, end <laughs> the, of whole the episode thing. I really really hope nobody's on pain of death in that situation <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh no <laughs> But it's he knows whole... I'll kill him if we get to the end of Stranger <laughs> Things. <laughs> We've done it. We're gonna find a new husband. Um, but it's the, so the whole book is night after night. She tells a, she finishes the last story and she tells half of a new one. Um, and those stories that she tells are Aladdin, um, Ali Baba, and the Forty Thieves. Like all these famous, like um, kind of Arabic like stories mm-hmm. that we know, come from her telling those little stories. And I love that because since I was a kid, what I love about stories is that feeling of tension. Is the yeah. feeling of like, is she gonna get killed? Like, and that's what she traps him with. She mm-hmm. traps him with tension. You yeah. That like Ira Glass with this, this American Life. He, he's spoken mm-hmm. about this before, about like stories about that tension, like that that feeling of like, but I I want to know. Like I just yeah. want to know. And all those characters are fictional. Like there's yeah. no reason why you should want to know what happened. Mm-hmm. Like, but you need to but on you such need a to deep know. level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think about that. There's been millions and millions of pounds made based upon that premise. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just building tension, and then yeah, yeah mm-hmm. you need that release. You're gonna continue mm-hmm. that Netflix subscription. Yeah. Um, the next question. The next question is a bit deeper. <laughs> Um, I think diversity is obviously a big issue at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, should we be positively discriminating people in order to illustrate diversity in our storytelling? I think if you can do it well, you absolutely should. Um, because there's been the opposite happening for such a long time. Right. Like People have been excluded from their own stories. Like you've got white actors playing Jewish characters, you've got so many... You've just got so many situations where people have been robbed of their own stories. So if you can, like, sensitively... And I don't... I think that's the other thing, like... I think that a cis person should probably not be talking about the difficulty of being a trans person, but you should absolutely have a diverse cast of characters and you should find people and talk to them and ask them about their experiences and I mean it's their job to talk about themselves but at the same time it's also your job to make sure that you're not excluding people mm-hmm. because that's that's kind of been the norm has been to just play it safe mm-hmm. um, yeah. so I, I think there's a lot of you really have to make up for a lot of history <laughs> yeah I mean that's it my instinct is generally yes to positive discrimination because mm-hmm. it isn't really like it's, it's not really discrimination mm-hmm. actually we have very we're, we have a lot of discrimination in process um, mm-hmm. against 
people. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing as well is there's this like, you know, should we centre, you know, diverse people in our stories and that, yes, but we need to also sort of centre diverse people's stories and like yeah. give as many, give as much of a platform as possible yeah. Yeah, to, exactly. the, to the storytellers <laughs> yeah. themselves as well as... You um, should positively sort of... seek out like authors who aren't white and right. who aren't straight yeah. and who, yeah. One of the funny things, Bridesmaids is a great film, like comedy. Is it? Yeah, I've been wondering so whether good. to watch it. Oh no, trust me, it's so good. But it's, and, and it was a huge hit in the US in the cinema, like even though no one expected it. Um, and it won an Oscar for original script. Hmm. Um, I think it was an Oscar, but anyway, the and it was a big thing of like it's a whole like female cast and that's really cool, but then it won an Oscar and the director and all the writers were male, <laughs> and so they all went up on stage and the director <laughs> grabbed the Oscar and he was like, "Who said that women can't be funny? Like you know they can be and stuff." And you're like, "You're kind of underwriting, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, you know." Yeah. So I think there's what you said about characters need to be diverse, but also makers of characters we need to give opportunities mm-hmm. for people who don't have them to mm-hmm. tell the stories about them like yeah. yeah i i remember like growing up in brazil i i was all in loving movies i was always so hyper aware that of the representation of brazilian people and latino people in the cinema mm-hmm. generally um but specifically you know like so hyper aware as a kid that I knew every actor working in Hollywood had any connection to Brazil. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that the second henchman in um, <laughs> Charlie's Angels Full Throttle is Brazilian. Uh-huh. I know that like the bad guy in 300 is Brazilian. Mm-hmm. I know that Tom Hanks is a quarter Portuguese. You know? <laughs> like, I know all yeah. the, the like the vaguest connections I yeah. was fully aware of without rationalizing it. But I wanted to see something about myself reflected on screen. Mm-hmm. And if they weren't gang members or, <laughs> you know, like henchmen or whatever like you know the the the, wasn't a positive international um, mirror image of my community that i could see and i never thought of it in these terms when i was a kid Mm -hmm. but i thought in the terms of like i don't see anyone kind of like me you know Mm -hmm. the moment that you're part of a smaller group you start to notice whenever it's portrayed in a certain way like i um, and I mean, women are like, what, 51% yeah, of the world population. But not... I was reading uh, a Heinlein book, uh, a science fiction novel, and the way that women were described, it's like every single time a woman came along, it had to be like describing how like fuckable she was. Like, right. how much <laughs> do you want to put your penis inside of this woman? Like, as the main like, character. Was, was she a woman though, Valerie, <laughs> or was she a female? <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, how much you want to put this, your penis inside of this woman is the name of the book. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and well, there's just this sort of psychological wear as you're reading this thing, and each time someone like you comes along, they're they're kind of shuffled to the side, or they're they're just not fully fleshed out characters, and. There's something so disappointing about that. And yeah. I think that... Like, what always got me about female characters was when they're described, you know, it's always, and often in sort of folktales and that, it's a more sort of desexualized prettiness, but it's mm-hmm. always, always like this sort of focus on looks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess a couple of female, like, characters that really connected with me when I was younger... Um, mm-hmm. One is the the folktale Kate Cracker Nuts, which is mm-hmm. about two sisters, and there's one who is this sort of 
you know, classically folktale heroine, blonde, beautiful, mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. But then her sister, who's like the sort of messy, mm-hmm. ugly one, um, is the one who's sort of adventurous and saves the day. Mm-hmm. And like they're still friends and like they don't care, you know, mm-hmm. how, that society has these expectations for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one was Lyra out of um, his Dark Materials uh-huh. trilogy, oh, yeah, who yeah. was just like, yeah, just felt very different to any other sort of female mm-hmm. character. Yeah, that yeah, she was on her own um, adventure it wasn't yeah and someone else's adventure yeah exactly like and she was <laughs> she made a lot of mistakes along the way as well yeah um, yeah and yeah. I, I think one thing is like when I'm writing novels I am very aware of which groups of people have always ended up dead in the end like I am never going to kill uh, a gay character yeah. like that you can consider that a spoiler for me but like gay people have just been killed by so many like joss whedon like in buffy you know it's but then it's, before that was it not the black characters yeah that's the first one today yeah yeah, yeah. So yeah. they taken on the, the the gay people taking on that mantle <laughs> of... but that's the thing like i also i'm very like i am probably mostly going to kill white characters because i'm way more comfortable with that because they've not been traditionally they have not been the people who get killed like the only people of color that i would ever kill in a novel are people who are fully fleshed out that like you can really like and that's a huge emotional punch yeah exactly Yeah, yeah yeah i i would never like as window dressing kill a black person over a white person because that's been done for so long and I, I feel like we kind of have to I don't know it it sounds weird to say we've we should make up for that but at the same time I think we should be yeah. very aware of the world that we are sending these works out into I think we're all so like pre-programmed with a bias mm-hmm. um, even even just selecting guests for the podcast mm-hmm. um I'm very conscious that I need to have a diverse range of people mm-hmm. um, with a, a very conscious male-female split that I don't have a mm-hmm. skew in, in one certain direction. But mm-hmm. then even then I'm thinking, well, I, I just genuinely want interesting people. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter who they are or what mm-hmm. they look like yeah. as long as they do interesting things. But I still have to make maintain a, a diversity across mm-hmm. that. So there's a sort of, there's a, a conflict there a little bit when mm-hmm. I'm sort of self-editing and saying, oh, well, actually, I'll maybe not put that person until next month because it balances the offering of the podcast a bit better. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of like, yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of discrimination there, but, <laughs> yeah. but maybe that's just the years and years of discrimination that have gone before. This yeah. is a necessary step in order to mm-hmm. r- move towards some sort of area of equality. And yeah. also, it doesn't sound like you're sort of refusing to have anyone on the podcast oh, it's just not, like no, rebalancing yeah. when it goes out and the yeah. is not as diverse as other parts of the uk absolutely not yeah, there's yeah. there's yeah. there's all of that but it is funny that if we if we leave it to autopilot everybody's going to be white you yeah. know like and if you're a man most likely male too you know mm-hmm. so it is weird that like you, you really see the seams of the like <laughs> racist like cloth that covers everything, mm. you know, of like, oh yeah, we're likely to fall into these patterns and mm. there needs to be a conscious choice to not do that, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I think um, that was a yes to that question, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I believe that. I, I thoroughly believe that you should be aware of the world that you're putting content out to mm. and remember like the issues that are there, even if like even if you create a fictional world where that's not an issue, 
it's still its reception is going to be in our world yeah. so you should be aware of that that's sure it did be interesting to create a world where the bias had been something completely skewed and completely mm. different to what we've experienced mm. for the last i think mallory blackman very... does like a young adult series that's like you know what if white people were the people who are discriminated against but mm. um. <laughs> anyway <laughs> um, sidebar <laughs> yeah. um so the last question I have um, is something that actually came up in the in Fleet Collective when we were chatting about this in the last couple of days. And obviously in the news there's been a lot of um, controversy about celebrity, so um, obviously Harvey Weinstein and mm-hmm. now Kevin Spacey has come out as well. Um, and over the last few years we've had a lot of sort of 80s and 90s shamed celebrities mm. from the mm. BBC. Um, and sort of like so we have all these people who have produced great content um, Mm. so stories and other things that we are able to consume regularly um, whether that's the um, shows of Jimmy Savile the music of Gary Glitter or the films of Harvey Weinstein what the the thing we were debating and and what I'd like (laughs) to ask is like well at what point I mean should we stop watching just immediately and say right okay cut-off point is now we say we never watch a Harvey Weinstein film ever again and then if that filters down at what point is a crime not serious enough to say oh, I'll maybe watch a couple of his but mm, <laughs> I'm not gonna watch them all because uh, he did that thing one time yeah. I mean the the big sort of immediate thing that suggests itself is are you giving this person money like are they still mm-hmm. a living person that's getting money by you buying their work mm-hmm. and if so like you know and I always wonder about, about that. like if you go into moral purity stuff like if you can pirate someone's books or movies like should you also pirate them if you don't believe personally in their choices like their small choices like oh wow. they said something kind of offensive so I'm going to pirate their books instead of like borrowing them from the library or something like it's yeah it's, it's a bit of a mess but at the same it? time I think there's big difference between I don't like what this person tweets and this person sexually assaulted women (laughs) or sexually assaulted men or whatever I don't want to make it seem like oh this is a slippery slope to now we'll never pay for anything there is a big difference between saying horrible things and like actually going and doing these horrible Mm -hmm. things and often the two are connected in Mm -hmm. the same individuals but yeah like my instinct is to not not see that those things like not give Woody Allen any money anymore mm-hmm. you know like I it makes me feel weird like mm-hmm. I can't I haven't been to the cinema to see one of his movies like because it makes me feel weird mm-hmm. on the other hand here's something that makes me feel weird the government investing in illegal military interventions mm-hmm. overseas the government doing a whole host of policies that put people in like physical harm mm-hmm. and yet I'm paying my taxes yeah. Now, the consequence of me not paying my taxes is a lot worse than me not watching Woody Allen movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a self-preservation thing there. But if we bring the issue to morality, like to what is the moral thing to do, what... I don't know. Like, I guess my <laughs> thinking is like, I don't know if I'm good enough to keep that up mm-hmm. across the board. Mm-hmm. Because like, I know that Primark is bad in terms of ethics, so I don't buy there. Mm-hmm. But I buy things from Tesco, like um, you know, like, yeah. and I know it's bad, and I know I shouldn't. But sometimes I do it, and I don't know how to justify that. Like I don't mm-hmm. know how to. 
Well, I think one thing is that as one person, you're not very powerful. Like people in the West like to boycott things and we really feel like, oh yeah, that's how you show it to the man. But really, it's not up to one person. I mean, and there was sort of the sort of organized boycotts of South African apartheid um, Mm. goods did actually have an effect. Mm. So like if it's organized Mm -hmm. but we need to you know in order to make any sort of change yeah the sort of individual consumer can't really make Mm -hmm. these differences can they we need to sort of collectively because primark doesn't know that you're protesting like primark doesn't know that you're saying i'm against your business practices it's because i guess south africa worked because it was a boycott alongside a whole host of political pressures absolutely like so yeah it's it's i think yeah. The answer is in organizing more visibly. Yeah. Yeah. I think Instead of just saying, oh, well, I'm not going to buy there anymore. And that's like yeah. a personal decision that yeah. no one else hears about. Right. Um, the yeah. moment when you are buying somewhere else, like the person who isn't getting your money anymore doesn't know why that, they're not getting yeah, it. Yeah. They don't know right, that you're morally right. opposed to their product. They think, like, oh, well, people aren't as interested in buying like yeah. the these goods during this month it's yeah <laughs> so yeah. like yeah so i think in my mind there was two things one is like it needs like boycott needs to come with political pressure mm-hmm. it needs to come with activism you need to be organized and right. whether that pressure comes from a government or from a big group of people getting yeah. together and being like we will not tolerate this sort yeah. of mm-hmm. in our city or our right. whatever or even mm-hmm. us writing to the studios protesting at the studios and saying get yeah. your shit together in terms of your producers and your whatever's mm-hmm. you know like and don't make their films anymore um or you know like really weed out these guys mm-hmm. there needs to be that pressure and at the same time as that, there's a moral, personal moral conscience that you, that you should follow, you know? So, yeah. yeah, I can have all these arguments about there needs to be activism and whatever and whatever. But I can't watch um, any, um, what's his name? Until you blanked, American comedian. Uh, Cosby? Cosby. Mm-hmm. Can't watch any Cosby stuff anymore. Just can't. Mm-hmm. Like, um, oh, so you there read us like the article. point. There's that mm-hmm. There is, yeah. Okay, you've got to that point where, okay, I, I'm never, nothing, right. never mm-hmm. again. Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah, totally. So I think there is something of a personal personal conscience of like, mm-hmm. I don't feel good doing it, I'm mm-hmm. not going to do it anymore. Like, yeah. you know, and, and figuring that out. Um, but then not stopping there, you know, not yeah, saying like, just... this is the end of it. Mm-hmm. Like, th- there needs yeah, because be you could just be someone who lost interest in the subject. Right. Yeah. And you want to make sure that's that like, no, I didn't lose interest. The like, yeah, yeah, we want, you know, we want to see these films, but we want to see them not made by rapists. Yeah. Like, just yeah. that sort of thing. But then there's also the, so there's the argument um, that, so if you're the Cosby show, so Bill Cosby is one of the main character in that show, um, whereas Harvey Weinstein in some of his films, he was the guy in the background. He wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. yeah. a major part in that. So does that then affect your perception of that film? If he takes a lesser role, are you more likely to still watch that film? Mm-hmm. I think if it, if it was on Netflix, <laughs> probably like <laughs> right. if it sounds like a good show. And yeah, it's, it is kind of... I don't know, you can get away with it more in your own head. <laughs> I guess. Mm. It's, it's that moral compass again. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's yeah. Or like yeah. something like Walt Disney, who was mm. a yeah, super was shitty terrible. person. Yeah. Um, now, 
Walt Disney owns, you know, Disney now owns Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and Pixar. <laughs> yeah, you know? and we just can't avoid, yeah. like, it's just like it, when you, or, tried... you know, you could avoid, but it'd be really... Like when you yeah. try to avoid Nestle because they're using up all the water in California or whatever. It's like right. when you look at supermarket products in the US, there's just no way to avoid them. Like right, they, right. they have their hands in so many pies that yeah. there's just nothing. So we're saying there's a, a definite link between morality and convenience. Well, yeah, in terms of... You're saying like, I would make my life behavior. really inconvenient yeah. to avoid yeah, Nestle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Therefore, yeah, my morals will just fade out a bit. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's, it's not really good enough. Like, no. there's no moral argument for that, really. No, there isn't. But there isn't, you know, the government, like, okay, so something like, um, I'm struggling to think of a British example, but, but a, an American example for the Iraq war the Abu Ghraib photos, you know, where they were taking photos of prisoners, naked prisoners in Iraq and making them do all sorts of horrible things. Now, you could say that if the month after you saw those photos, you went and paid your taxes, that your morals faded out. Mm -hmm. Or you could say that your morals are playing the long game. (laughs) You know, like, because Uh I I cannot pay my my taxes and go to prison. There's a Mm self-preservation thing and you certainly, like, you can't sort of fault people for you know, buying the only food they can afford to keep themselves mm-hmm. alive or yeah. indeed paying their taxes That's to the avoid thing, going like, to jail. That's the thing, like, expecting people to boycott Walmart when they're on, like, no salary. It's it's right. really hard to, like, say... Or Primark, yeah. Primark yeah, is yeah. the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, yeah. being personally responsible. It's just, it's really... I think that there's a lot of privilege involved oh, in boycotting. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um. Not Woody Allen movies, but yeah. Primark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Tricky. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think like what you really hit on is the kind of the the personal consumer um, as political activism is actually just the ultimate capitalist move, isn't it? It's, right. it's making us all think that um, that <laughs> be, our actions as a consumer are actually the most important thing about yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what got me thinking about it because as as someone who believes in socialism, I have to live in an ultra capitalist society mm-hmm. all the time, you know and I have to make peace of that in my own mind. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I have to live with that, you know. And mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It's so hard to talk about these things and not sound like an asshole. In your own <laughs> head, you know? like, I know. <laughs> well, the, I think the thing is, like, people who think you're an asshole are going to think you're an asshole. Anyway. That's true. So, like, <laughs> yeah, we're already so there. Thanks so. for coming, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I think you have to believe that, like, there are people out there who want you to sound eloquent and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> well, you're true. the best thing. Yeah, I guess. T- yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like there's, it's difficult because you can expand it from Woody Allen to Weinstein to Disney to Primark to the government. You know, like, mm-hmm. and at what point do you jump out? Like, I'm not sure. Like, I, but so I don't. I guess what I'm saying is that, like I don't have a, mm-hmm. I don't have an answer. Like, I, yeah. and I'm not a morally consistent person. Mm-hmm. Like, no. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's that like consistent trying to figure out. And then now I don't feel good about Bill Cosby or Woody Allen, and I don't go to those movies, but or those TV shows. But there are other things that I'm still mm-hmm. okay with. I'm still uh, watching Tarantino, even though Weinstein produced all of his films. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. It's just a big question mark for me. I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think there is an answer to that. No. I don't think there's an easy answer mm-hmm. at all. Um, but let's end on something a little more lighthearted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and let's cut all of that out. <laughs> 
Um, so I want you all to recommend something, something, some piece of great storytelling that you've experienced. <laughs> Can I get in here and tell you to keep the next year's last full weekend of October free and come up to Orkney to Storytelling Festival? <laughs> Plug. <laughs> um, Why? Um, because it's um, it's quite a special thing in terms of um, you get a, a group of people together and um, the, the sort of group of storytellers tend to spend, um, you know, not every waking minute together, but um, they do go around sort of together for four days and it becomes a really sort of family experience and that sort of um, expands to the audience as well. Um, there is um, the the places in which we do the storytelling are also quite special. Um, mm. We often go places with like real historical connections, um, and we get a really um, sort of international mix of people up mm -hmm. um, and get a range of different sort of. What's the weather places? like in Orkney at um, the end of October? It's beautiful. It's perfect for storytelling. It's really <laughs> dramatic and stormy and windy. So you come, you come inside um, from the storm, and you already feel like you've been through a and battle together. There's a lot of whiskey. There. I've heard. Um, there's some whiskey. <laughs> um, I would recommend a TV show called The Leftovers. Um, hmm. The premise of the TV show is the first, like the first scene is um, two percent of all the people in the world disappear, like a rapture kind of thing. They just whoosh, like they're not there anymore. Mm. That's the first scene, and then it cuts to three years later, and then what you see is a society that has been shaped around the fact that lots of people people have the people they know disappeared. Three seasons long, and that's that's all there is, and each season is like ten episodes long. It's written by one of the guys who wrote Lost. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I know, I know what that sounds like, but he I think he did this trying to atone for his sin <laughs> of Lost because it's the most remarkable it's maybe my favorite TV show. Uh, where can we see this? Of all time. Um it's on Now TV if you have Now TV. Um mm -hmm. Again, if you have now TV, it's owned by Rupert, Rupert Murdoch, by oh, the way. Joyce. So, you know, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> You're a morally ambiguous person. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, it's there. But you can also, you know, get it on iTunes or like whatever mm. store. Um, but it's three seasons, super tight. And it's so deep. And like, it, I, I got, there's out of, you know, 30 episodes. I maybe cried in twenty five of them. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness! It's it's incredible. Like I I've I watched it last month and it's been in my mind a lot. So mm. I definitely recommend that. I have so many niche things that I want to recommend, but at the same time, I don't think they're super accessible for people who are hugely into science fiction and fantasy. What, just before that, what was the name of that book again? The the, the saga? From the Varkosigan saga. Yeah. What's the author's name again? Lois McMaster Bujol. Um, yeah, really she, cool. it's been going since the 90s. So there are things that I'm like not super into. Um, like she uses the term hermaphrodite, which since has been very like, right, ooh, right. don't mm. use that for people. Um, but, you know, that that's what happens. Like things age and sometimes they don't age well. Um, <laughs> 
Talking about shows that we've been super into, I really love Netflix's The Good Place. Oh, I'm enjoying I mean, that at the moment as well. It really, it goes in unexpected directions. Okay, because I watched the first two episodes and I'm not convinced. Should I stick with it? Like, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Like, it's... Can you give us a little bit of context? Um, I've, I've, so it's I've this, not even heard of it. So. Um, without spoiling too much, it's this woman who um, has just died. Mm-hmm. And um, she... Uh, is told when she arrives in sort of limbo, the sort of office of limbo, um, that she's going to heaven. Um, She's going to be in the good place forever and it's Mm. going to be paradise and it's going to be brilliant. Um, But it quickly transpires that, you know, her life was not the sort of life that would get you there. Um, so so she's there by mistake. Yeah, she's because a woman she actually she actually died at the exact same time as somebody with the same name. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of... It really, it balloons out, but it balloons out in a unique way. And I think especially if you're doing a storytelling podcast, like, I think it would be cool for you to watch it because they're... It really it keeps I, yeah. There's nothing it keeps like it. Letting I don't think. different parts of it's it's very unreliable narrator, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, it keeps letting you think you know things and then telling you you don't. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny. And it's like yeah. a half hour comedy, yeah. right? Like yeah. just uh, from really, the same maker of the American Office and okay. Parks and Rec. And yeah, that. I really like stuff that's sort of light-hearted but still touches on deep questions. Yeah, um, because I. I think that a lot of people feel like something has to be dark in order to be good. And I think sometimes things that are entertaining can touch on very significant things, but they touch on it in like more pleasant ways. So you're, I don't know, it it doesn't touch you the same way because you don't have to force yourself to sit through it. Yeah. Um, And I think that The Good Place is one of those things where it makes you ask questions, but it's not a huge drain on your energy every day. Cool. I, I suppose that leaves me to recommend something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've done real life event. I've done TV shows. I suppose I'll recommend a book. I'm, I'm not a big reader. <laughs> like I think I, my rate's probably about three books a year if I'm lucky, and two of them are on holiday. So. <laughs> um, but one of the books I did read on holiday this year was Train Spotting. Oh. Um, I've seen the film maybe three or four times. I've I mean, wondering whether film. to give that a go. Actually. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, I'd, Please do. <laughs> I didn't realise it was in such broad Edinburgh dialect. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just oh, the, the but the language in it is the beauty in it because mm-hmm. the way you read it in your head is phenomenal, mm-hmm. and just the way it comes across. And I suppose I grew up just outside Edinburgh. Um, Where did you grow up? Um, a place called Kilkenzie. Uh, we used to have this massive power station that was a horrible eyesore, but they <laughs> blew it up last last year, two years ago, two <laughs> years ago. As um, you do. Yeah, yeah, it was done. So they just thought, yeah, boom. Uh, as they do with everything these days. Yeah. Goodbye. Uh, it was a big event going to watch it getting, getting yeah. boomed. Yeah. I think there's a word for that, guys. <laughs> exploded. Demolished. Uh, yeah, I think it's demolished rather than exploded. You're right, yeah. right. Yeah. Control, I'd be controlled something, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, controlled anyway. demolition yes that, yeah that's the one mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean just the i suppose it's it's split into little chunks as well little stories that then create a, a whole but um some of the, just some of the language and it's phenomenal just the little the way they talk about things and mm-hmm. the way the, the, just the descriptions and the, the way they talk to each other is just ah oh, i just enjoyed it so mm-hmm. much um in a way that you, you 
although the film is phenomenal, it's it's just an aside to that. Um, mm-hmm. There's so much more in the book, as the, the cliche goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it sort of complements. But they both complement each other really well, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm convinced. I'll I'll yeah. put myself through that. Oh, you t- you yeah. definitely should. Um, it's well worth putting yourself through. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, so just to finish up, um, if people want to find out a bit more about you or find you online, where do they do that? So for me, it's the at um, Sidling Bears in on Twitter, um, and also the Creative Dundee page. There's a, a, a tab for like original features. There's a bunch of cool stuff there. So okay, uh, well, my Twitter is at alias McAlias, and that <laughs> should lead you to just about anything else you you might want linked to. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, I have a blog at ValerieGlennMullen.com, which I should probably post on more. There's a I very, do. by the way, if you go to Valerie's site, <laughs> there's a very good post about a trolley. She wrote a, a post Tesco about trolley. a Tesco trolley, yeah. and it's my favorite thing Valerie has ever done. <laughs> <laughs> Anthropomorphic trolleys. That's what you can look me up for. <laughs> yeah. And my Twitter is V underscore glennmullen.com uh, oh no at v- <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> whatever you All can right, find grandma. me somewhere else. <laughs> that one's in the show notes <laughs> right well, that's great thank you very much thank, thank you, you. Thank so that was round table number two with the guys from the beans podcast um, I'm sort of going to do the outro and the recommendation all in one this week. I suppose it makes sense to recommend the Beans podcast. You've heard from the guys there. Um, I'm sure you'll want to hear more. And if you're not sick of my voice by now, you can listen to me for the next month or so on their minisodes. Um, if you want to get a bit of a flavour about what they actually talk about, um, their very first uh, episode uh, was called Swipe Left, and it's all about how a Tinderbot helped Labour win seats in Parliament. Um, and their second episode is called Monsters Are Us, and it's about that intersection between fear and Dundee's history. Um, so both really fascinating topics. I'd absolutely recommend it. I've been sort of an avid listener, um, and you don't even have to be Dundee-based it's enjoyable for everyone. Um, so yeah, go and give the Beans podcast a listen. If you don't already, give us a follow. That's at CCC Dundee on Twitter and on Instagram. And let us know if there's any other Dundee-based podcasts out there. I'm always looking to, to find out a bit more, so drop me a tweet if there are any that you know of um, other than Creative Chit Chat and the Beans. So until next week, bye.